Hello, and welcome to episode 65 of the Carrier's Edge podcast. I'm getting glared at already. We're who five are you? seconds into this and Say I'm already getting are. glared at. Well, I think people listening to this podcast probably have no idea who I am. So I should maybe go back and start by first things first, saying who I am and probably giving my bio as well. I'm Mark Morell, <laughs> co-founder of Carrier's Edge co-creator of the Best Fleets to Drive For program. After a long career in corporate e-learning, in 2005, Mark turned his attention toward the trucking industry and has been focused on making life better for small and medium-sized trucking companies ever since then. <sighs> that was it. I thought I'd get ridiculed way more strongly. I, have, I really have no energy. I'm Jane Jazrawi. I'm the other co-founder of Carrier's Edge and... Co-creator of the best lease to drive for. I think for. that was not bad for and an on-the-fly garbage marketing bio of the kind that are normally read before introducing you for a speech. Yeah, that's true. I just, I don't know. I don't know why you just don't want to say who you are at the beginning of, beginning of the podcast. I don't think it needs to be the exact first words out of my mouth. I get to it. <laughs> I mean, there's a picture of us on the, the thing. And yeah. the intro says, in the latest edition who we are and this is what we're talking about. So, Well, actually, every single podcast that I listen to, you just don't listen to a lot of podcasts. Everybody introduces themselves every single time, even when they're famous. Uh, that not one, the smartless one. They rarely introduce themselves. You're trying to figure out who's speaking, even though I know who it is, but they don't. They don't introduce themselves. They did at the beginning. The first one. Oh, okay. Yeah. So do you think we're as famous as, you know, Sean Hayes and Jason Bateman and... Who's the other one? <laughs> exactly. Who's the other, the other one? The other guy with the deep voice. I can. Who was married to Amy Poehler? <laughs> yeah. Amy Poehler's ex-husband. Yeah, I don't know if we're as famous as Amy Poehler's Will, ex-husband. Will Arnett. Yeah, there we go. No, they are definitely more famous. Yeah. But so, at this point, I don't think just people a touch. are. I don't think people are stumbling onto our podcast without having any clue who we are. Right. Well, good thing you gave them the bio. Just. I know. I, so you can all flee now if you're turned off by that bio. No, the ones that you're supposed to provide when they ask you for a bio can be much more egregious than that. I hate bios. It's like, what do you, who do you think I am? Well, what always cracks me up about them is... I, I want to give them my grade five picture. <laughs> I understand asking for a bio and to put it sort of in the, the program or something like mm-hmm. that, the written program. But not reading it? Oh, I hate it when they read it because... The people that are introducing you who read a bio, it's clear that they have never read it before. And often it's like they've never read English before. You've been through it. You know. I know. And they're mispronouncing words and they have to start sentences again because they're trying to make sure they say it exactly as written. And half the time it's people I know. And I'm thinking like, don't read what's there. Just explain to them who I am. You already Mm -hmm. know me. You don't need to read all of this junk. I've known you for 10 years. Yeah. You don't, you can't give a bio? Well, and also the bios are always provided by the speaker. So that's like, and it's usually the marketing people that come up with it and they write some flowery version. So we have to just, you know, make a note of the person who's the the last couple of people who did our bios. We're not talking about you. 
just in case no, you're listening well, the bios, to this. The bios that have been written for us recently are pretty good. We figured I think that we out. We wrote them. We wrote them, but we had some marketing and PR people that were involved in them. I, I'm happy enough with them because they're like two sentences. So that I can live with. Well, the other part of it is that when you're introducing someone, when you've got the job of introducing someone at a, an event like that, you have, you're told to read the, here's the piece of paper that you need yeah. to read. So the, I don't necessarily, I don't blame the, the person doing the introduction at all. I blame the people that provide the bios, the marketing people who write the bios and the speakers who seem to think it's a big deal to have the bio read. Like these people are doing that introduction and reading it because they're getting feedback that the speakers want that. And as a speaker, I do not want that. However, let me finish this thought because you will be able to commiserate with this. There are people that have bios that are four paragraphs long and mm-hmm. want them read. And then we'll walk up on stage and go, oh, thank you for that lovely introduction. <laughs> thank you for that generous description of me. And I'm thinking, you wrote that stupid thing yourself. Stop being like that. You know what would be kind of cool is if, you know, there's a training game where you have to get to know someone and you get paired off. It could be that the lazy way, just turn to your partner or, you know, find a friend or find someone that you don't know. Or you can get matched up with, you know, variety of different ways, like playing cards and things like that. But. When you, one of the games is, um, you know, get to know the person that you're talking to. And, you know, when we come back to the main group, then you're going to introduce them. This is generally someone you don't know. So this is like the icebreaker thing. You have to Mm -hmm. figure out enough information about someone that you can introduce them. That is what I think people should do when they're introducing speakers is actually... Think about it. You're not just for a couple of minutes before and like get to know some basics about them and then just have like a half hour conversation with them. I'm introducing you tomorrow. There often isn't time for a half hour one, but there's always five or 10 minutes. You always know of information. Yeah. You always know who you're introducing. It's not, it's not like a surprise. Mm -hmm. So, you know, sometime beforehand and here are the main, so the event, the people organizing the event should basically say, get these five bits of information from this, this person and don't read it from a piece of paper or you can have cheat sheets if you, you need, if you need them, but find out these five things and tell it to people in a, in a conversational way. Like, you know them. Well, I think that would be fantastic, but it relies on one other skill that not a lot of people have. And that is the ability to stand up there and speak comfortably when introducing somebody. Though if you said just do it conversationally, a lot of people when they get in front of a a crowd, they get with a microphone and a podium, they can't speak comfortably. So they're all nervous, they don't want to screw it up, so they're relying on a script and they're trying to read the script. We see it with people reading prompters and sometimes like they're very nervous and even though they're reading a prompter, it's still like they're in second grade sounding out the words in a book. So it would be awesome if they could do that. But can you imagine what would come out? Well, I think the, for the first little while, it would be awful. Yeah. But many of the people who are introducing speakers are grownups who will 
who are people who are interested in talking to people, like you can speak, it's very difficult for me to, it's much more difficult for me to speak one-on-one than it is to a large group. It's much, it's, I, I, I have no problem speaking to a large group at all. Like, you know, I love it. Like, you know, the bigger the group, the better. And the better my microphone, the better. But it's much more, it's much more difficult to speak like at a party or, you know, in a loud room where I don't know people and I'm not sure what to say. I don't know what the read of the room is. I would say most of the people listening to this do not share your opinion on that. Would probably have the opposite well, opinion. Well, what it, my point is that I'm expected to do that mm-hmm. every single time there is yeah. an event. I'm expected to do that every single staff meeting. I'm expected, I am expected to do that. I'm given no mercy. Mm-hmm. You know, if I'm not running a good meeting, well, that's crap. And if I'm not... And if you're not making good small talk at an event, yeah, people have an opinion based on that. Exactly. Yeah. So, so, fair game. You know, Everybody else learn should be how judged to, on how to speak. Exactly. And people are almost never judged on those kinds of things. That small speaking bit that you can do as practice as, you know, yeah, like try, try learning it by heart. Try actually talking to the person and finding out what they're like. And if you know the people, find out what, you know, plan out what you're going to do. I think that's kind of a majority versus minority thing that the majority of people are okay with the one-on-ones, okay doing small talk. And so those of us that aren't, we're the minority, we're the freaks. And conversely, the majority of people are terrible on stage when they're speaking. So that's the expectation. So those small percentage of people that are good at it, like you, they stand out and you get a lot of compliments for how you are on stage because you're so comfortable and it's so different. So there are sort of different, um, evaluation levels for different people, but, uh, yeah, I, I think it's, the general state of public speaking should be raised quite dramatically. I think it's like um, being left-handed. Mm. So I'm left-handed. You're kind of left-handed in in everything but the actual hand you write with. So mm-hmm. I'm left-handed, but I'm I do a lot of things right-handed. Uh, and this is the thing with left-handed and right-handed. If if you don't know, there's a spectrum. So you're not necessarily. Even if you write with your left hand, that doesn't mean that you're left-handed dominant in everything. Uh, I tend to be more ambidextrous, so I can do things with both hands relatively equally. I kind of like my left hand better, but I'll also do a lot of things with my right hand. So using scissors, this is a big thing with left-handed people, is can you use scissors or not? Because scissors are very specifically oh, designed so right-handed. for right-handed people. And you cannot use a pair of scissors in your left hand if it's been designed for a right-handed person. So, but that's, I'm, I use scissors, right? So I'm fine with that. You don't. So I struggle. Yeah. I have learned to use them with the right hand. But anyway, here's the thing that drives me up the wall all the time. And I may have even said this on a podcast before. I don't know. But how people hand you things to sign is backwards. It's so yeah. totally backwards. When people hand you things to sign, they're assuming you're, you're right-handed. And so they hand it to you at an angle that is good for someone who's right-handed. And I can't. Mm-hmm. I can't sign something or it's going to be sideways. Well, they hand it to you assuming that you're going to pick it up from them in a certain way. Mm-hmm. And it's the opposite when you're left-handed. Well, no, sometimes they hand it to you and you're supposed to write on it right there. Like mm-hmm. if, if, you know, 
a courier comes to the door and wants you to sign the little thing, then they hold it out to you. And they present I, it to your right hand. Yeah. And I basically move it. I, I always have to move everything that I sign because the person who handed it to me thinks I'm right-handed. And it's like that with the speaking to an audience and speaking to individuals where everybody is just automatically geared to doing it one way so and ignoring the other side. And everybody who's on the other side is like, ah, oh, that's so annoying. <laughs> so it's it's just this, you know, little bit of annoyance that and because I'm different than everybody on a whole whack of things. I have that constant annoyance about why aren't you doing it this way? Like why it seems so obvious to me. But I'm just <laughs> looking at pretty much the entire planet and everything on it in like from a left-handed person point of view. Everything is like a left-handed view. Yeah. The opposite kind view of, of everything. Yeah. And, yeah, having witnessed that <laughs> Over many, many years, I can see, uh, I can see that and I can definitely vouch for the fact that you have an opposite perspective to the vast majority of the general public. Yep. And it is, and my annoyances are displayed for you. So you get the vast majority. <laughs> the, the broader you, not yeah. just me individually. Yes. No, no, no. You specifically. Oh, specifically. Yes. Yeah. I, get, I get all the annoyances, but the general no, 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 public not the, gets like a the, good chunk. The feedback on the annoyances. Mm. That's what I mean. Okay. So the when I'm, you know, when I get to a level and, you know, it's that whole bottles on the on the platter thing, you know, the more bottles, you can handle a certain number of bottles before you drop the platter, right? So mm -hmm. you get the, the platter is now yeah. on the floor and the bottles are all in it's pieces. It's often splattered on me. Yeah, it is often. On vice versa too, but. What? I never would do such a thing. <laughs> So, yes, and the subject of being introduced and public speaking and being comfortable on stage is timely because we are just back from the TCA convention in Las Vegas where we presented the 2021 Best Fleets to Drive for eight don't, and a don't half sound, months Don't sound after. so excited. Well, it was a long time coming, uh, and I felt very bad making these people wait so long before finding out whether they were the overall winners. But as it turns out, what we've been sitting on for nine months now is the fact that the overall winners were the exact same this I year know. as last year. I know. So, it, you know what? It kind of worked out because they were the overall winners last year so they could ride on those laurels for a mm. while. And so the people, like the fact that they were the same ones, they didn't get a shorter period. Right. They're you not know, really it's, it's, in burned. Yeah, so we can kind of reset and, and... And also, if we had let it slip somehow, we had that cover saying, oh yeah, I'm talking about last year. <laughs> Little would they have known. Yeah, I think people were a bit distracted by a lot of things. Yes, so, so it was... But uh, it was nice to finally give out those it awards. Was. It was nice to see everybody. It was really nice to see everybody. It was nice to... Um, I think the highlight for me was doing Dave Nemo there. And, uh, mm -hmm. I, so Dave Nemo, uh, if you don't know the Sirius XM show that he has, uh, well, we talked about it here yeah? several times. Okay. Well, he's on Sirius XM and I'm on it every once in a while, but because he was at the show or he was at the convention, he had a little setup outside the main 
the main ballroom where we were doing stuff. And I got to be on the show yesterday. I think it was recorded on Wednesday and aired on Thursday or something like that. No, uh, it would have been Tuesday, maybe. Or Tuesday and Wednesday. Recorded on, yeah, recorded. See, it's all a blur for I know, us. I know. It's we like, what day is it now? We don't even know what day it is now. But it was recorded one day and broadcast the next. Right, because we were in Pacific time and he normally airs in Eastern time. So the... I have never, I have never done a show with Dave Nemo in person. I've never done it live. Yeah, it's always been over the phone. It was awesome. Yeah, it's always on the phone. So I can see, I can see everybody. I can, you know, there's all of those uh, nonverbal cues. Well, actually, Brent made me laugh, but so it was very cool. So I, it, I and I actually didn't have an interview with Dave Nemo. Um, he was there, but I had an interview with Jimmy Mack, uh, which was also really cool. And then um, we had the two overall winners. So Andrew Boyle, who's the co-president of Boyle Transportation, and Brent Newsbaum, who is the CEO of Newsbaum Present uh, Transportation. So I'm, and so Jimmy is like, okay, I want you to introduce the best fleets, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, okay. And then I made some crack about, you know, I I hope I remember their names. And so Brent, so, so he, uh, Jimmy starts introducing the show and I'm, you know, and he's about to like, sort of let me, he's introducing me and he's about to say that, you know, introduce these people and Brent holds up his name tag and gives me this big grin. <laughs> I was like, and I, I just started laughing and, and it was like, what are you doing? <laughs> so Jimmy had to say, oh, you know, they're live here and he's making her laugh kind of thing. The little background. So big fail, big L on no, my show. Oh, that's good radio. My, oh my God. It just was like the, the grin. presentation. It was the grin on his yeah. face. Well, that's the kind of stuff that makes for good radio <laughs> and makes for a good presentation. And uh, oh. I can totally see him doing that. Yeah, with a crazy grin on his face. But but, I know. Brent Newsbaum is very, you know, he's usually very serious. Like I... You know, he's we're usually talking to him in the best fleets questionnaire, like we're doing the interview and he's trying to put his best foot forward and he's very, you know, serious about it. So there isn't a lot of, you know, giggling Mm -hmm. that's happening. So and also that grin was (laughs) I've never seen that before on his face. So I think these guys have figured out how to get you going. I know. No, Andrew was much nicer. He did not do anything uh, that I would, although I have a picture of, uh, it was another top 20, um, Brian Philco from Jetco. He was there. He was at, he was sort of at Dave's area and we got a picture and I was, it was me, Brian and Jeremy. Oh, what's Jeremy's last name? Reimer. Yeah, that's right. Jeremy Reimer from driver reach and we were just sort of like, you know, posing around the, there was a banner and the, and then, <laughs> what was in the water? So COVID. Dave, <laughs> so Dave photobobs a picture. It's quite a silly picture. I'll post it on Facebook at some point in the next couple of days, mm-hmm. but it was quite, it's this little head coming out. So yeah, we were not, um, we were not behaving. 
appropriately. The, no, the, we were taking it serious. This is serious work here. Oh, I, well, no, it was the day after the serious yeah. work. So everybody was like, okay. Well, and at that point, we are starting to get a little punchy because yeah. you know, Monday is a very long day for us. Uh, because of the award presentation on the Monday morning, uh, Pacific time, and we were there for rehearsal to start at 7.30 a.m. and run through all of that with everybody, set up and make sure the books are being distributed. And then you had the award presentation that was about 8.45, and then we had to kind of be there for the rest of the general session. And then after that, people want their pictures taken with the the backdrop and stuff, so we were doing that. And then... We have exhibits and there's other things that happen in the afternoon and then we have our reception. And so like by the time the day is over, we're just wiped. And then the next day was an easier day. All we had on Tuesday was the exhibit time and our workshop. So that's what constitutes a lighter day there. So it was... Did I do... I did meet Dave Nemo in the morning. It was Tuesday. Could very well have been. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was because it was, it was the day after... Yeah. The, right, the day that, after. Yeah. So that makes sense. But we start to get a little punchy and we never sleep very well because there's so many things going through your head when you're there that you're always sort of awake in the middle of the night, pondering these things or remembering stuff that you've forgotten for the day or a whole bunch of things. So it ends up being quite an exhausting four or five days that you're not really getting much sleep and you're running around and at the wind, it's a gorgeous place, but nothing is close. Everything is... I don't know. Everything, Everything is, is a, a hike through the con- walk at yeah, least. through the casino. Yeah. So like you said, it was good to get there, um, to go somewhere. It's our first time going on any sort of work trip in 18 months. And it was the first nice. time we've been to the States in first a while. First time being in the U.S. in 18 months since the last TCA convention, March of 2020. And uh, we weren't really sure what to expect. Um and we know that they're starting to get some more people vaccinated and we knew that Nevada had a mask mandate. So it was a little kind of surprising to us how few people were actually wearing masks, considering that it was the rule. Uh, well, it depended on where you were and, and you know, it depended. Uh, so and it also depended on the time of day. Mm-hmm. So there were oh, yeah, definitely. And so there were some, you know, in general, I would say there was about 40% adherence to mask mandates, yeah. <laughs> maybe 50%. Yeah. And it wasn't very, so, you know, if you were walking through the hotel, then you had to keep your mask on, but you didn't have to keep it, you didn't have to wear it properly. Mm. If you had a mask attached to your face somehow, it did not have to be covering your nose and mouth, which, and they were just looking for a mask on, like attached yeah, to your face. I think security was like so exhausted by yeah. trying to enforce it all. It's like, okay, I can see a mask that's hanging from your head somehow. Yeah. Good enough. Yeah. And as the night go on, goes on, it gets worse and worse and worse because oh, people yeah. tend to be drinking and they often have a drink in hand. They seem to perpetually have a cigarette as well because we're always reminded when we go there that in Vegas you can smoke on a casino floor. So that is not something that we even smell anymore. I totally forgot what cigarettes yeah. smelled, smelled like, but uh, it's crazy what that. you're used to. And I think that this is the big takeaway from from that trip is that peer pressure. There's a lot of power to peer pressure because mm-hmm. I am not interested in. You know, I've been, I've had had my vaccinations and stuff because you have you have to before mm-hmm. you go there, uh, and. 
Um, well, no, I don't think you have to. You just no, have to have, have a negative COVID test. Yeah, sorry. Excuse me. So anyway, I, I knew that I didn't have it going down, but I didn't know what it was going to happen, like coming back. But it was very interesting to even me, who's pretty strict about it, like within our household and, and that kind of thing. I'm not really interested in going around maskless because uh, I'm terrified of getting COVID. But that terror, like I, I was not wearing a mask. Yeah, for a lot, like you just stop. Well, because, and you're putting it on and taking it off so often. Yeah. Sometimes you just forget. Like when we were doing our workshop, on the Tuesday, as speakers, we don't have to wear a mask and, you know, it would be very hard to hear us if we were wearing it. So when we're up there presenting, we had the mask off. But when we're rehearsing and prepping, we're in the room by ourselves. We were walking around the room and stuff and had a mask off. But then we just kind of walk out of the room to go to the bathroom and we don't even think about it. Yeah. So it's like, oh, crap, you get there and you're realizing, oh, geez, I left my mask back there. And in some cases, you know, we had our microphone on, but no badge, no mask. And oh, so yeah. we were really ill prepared to be wandering around. And the people who were coming in didn't have masks on. And there was a mild reminder, but, mm-hmm. you know, people not paying attention to it or not paying attention to it. So we, you know, the second night there that we were there, there was a party mm-hmm. that where, well, you know, very few people had masks on. Well, and you can't drink with a mask on. So you yeah. take the mask off for, for, to have a drink and then... And then everybody's yelling at each other because it's yeah. a party and it's loud. So it was very disconcerting. And Well, the, the first night when we were there on the, the Friday night on the casino floor, it was just nutso. With oh, yeah. Nobody wearing masks, smoking everywhere, like drunk, stumbling all over the place. And I think... It was a very busy night. It was a very we- busy, busy weekend. weekend in Vegas because there was like four of four or five events going on at the same time. But we're also so unused to that now. Like two years ago when the convention was there, you saw all that stuff and didn't think anything of it. We walk into a place and like you smell cigarette smoke and you're like, oh yeah, they smoke inside here. But you're still out and about and smelling it enough in your regular world that it's not so jarring. So what I realized is how much I've sort of forgotten about being out and about in the world just be because of the pandemic of the past 18 months of you know, I'm not seeing, I'm not going to places like a crazy Vegas casino hotel. So it's totally a different world to me now. And everywhere I go here, people are wearing a mask and now you have to have proof of vaccination to get into most places. And like, it's, you're reminded that not every place is like that. And things are very different. Even like the experience at the airport, it's sort of things that you'd forgotten about. And it's like, oh yeah, this is what happens in security. You're standing around in line forever and then going through customs and you got to walk through all of these different lines to get through it and standing around waiting for your bags is all stuff that we've totally forgotten about, but you get reminded of it. And it's sort of, it's much more jarring when you've had 18 months away from it and haven't really been thinking about it. You don't really realize all of those things that you're forgetting or you're getting used to not doing until you're starting to do them again. And then it's, it was yeah, a very jarring experience that way. Yeah. And, and having to have tests to go down and tests to come back, that was just, Oh, that was brutal. It was hilarious. All the papers that you had to have to get into the U S I feel like, yeah, you know, I, you, I don't even know what to, you know, how to describe it. It was like, I remember when I was a kid and reading books about Nazi Germany and people talking about having their papers. Yeah. 
or Cold War movies. Yeah. Do you have your papers? Where are your papers? Where are your papers? Oh, I think that was French. That was an SCTV sketch. But uh, do you have your papers? Does that sandwich have its papers? Oh, yeah. Does your dog have his papers? Yeah, yeah, I remember that. Um, so I'm like, you know, I have papers now. Now I have papers because you have your, your attestation, which mm. a word that I really did not know until like the last year. Um, the attestation, the negative test, plus a passport, plus Nexus, because you need all of these things for a different... I suppose I could have just had Nexus. I didn't need my passport. You didn't need your passport to get down. They I use did? that. Yep, they look at that. Uh, and the attestation, it turns out that we didn't need a printed version because they have an online one that you do when you check in, when you get your boarding pass. Well, it's all clear know, as so mud, took, yeah. Yeah, so I took it to be safe. But they keep changing all the rules and things, so every week you got something different that you have to do. And there's always this... Well, we had this fear because we'd... You know, we'd all, all these, you know, the four of us, Chris, um, myself, Mark and Tiffany, um, all go down there and we're basically in this big party and, and the next day we're just like, you know what? Well, let's see if we test positive. Like who knows? Mm -hmm. And I can see that, like, if you're living with that, if that is what your reality is, I can see why people don't really believe in all of the things they don't believe in, like, you know, don't think that vaccines do any good. Don't think that, you know, being in a crowd is really a problem. Like, you get desensitized. Yeah. Like you just and stop every time worrying. that you go through that and it's not a problem, it sort of builds up in your head the idea that, yeah, what am I needing to worry about here? It's all fine. Or if it's going to happen, it's going to happen, mm -hmm. which I've heard people say, and I've been quite like really aghast at it. I was like, oh my God, like, how can you, how can you be so risk, um, tolerant mm -hmm. and and i realized that i was i was having exactly the same feelings well you know it is what it is mm -hmm. <laughs> like now that i'm back home and well who knows i might have covid you don't know when i took that test to come back i didn't but who knows yeah but we try and take the test as early as we possibly can yeah <laughs> to minimize the risk but then we discovered this is something to keep in mind for anybody who's going down there to an event or anything. We went and we booked a test that would give us the response in three hours. Right. And we went and our flight back was Wednesday. So we could take the test as early as Sunday afternoon. And I thought, perfect, we'll get this thing done. We'll get it out of the way. And then we've got maximum time. If for some reason we test positive, we've got maximum time to try and figure out what we're going to do, how we're going to get home, what the plan is going to be. After we took that test, when we're waiting for the results, it occurred to me that, huh, if I test positive, we probably shouldn't be doing this award presentation <laughs> tomorrow morning. <laughs> Jane shouldn't be standing on stage shaking hands with all these guys. And we probably shouldn't be going to our reception. And hmm, how are we going to do our workshop on Tuesday? Yeah. So all of a sudden I was like, you know what? I probably should have stuck with the 24 hour one. Because that ignorance is bliss thing, you know, until you know, you can do, keep doing what you're doing. But once you know, you have to respond. So that's something that I might do differently again. I well, I'm hoping that. Although the realistically, time, we're probably not going back down there until the next convention in the spring. Yeah. anyway. So, and who knows what's going to happen by then. It might but, be a totally new variant and we have to get another two yeah, shots. A new and, set of yeah. restrictions and steps that have to be completed. But yeah, that was the kind of, you know, we were more worried about, oh, if we test positive, how are we going to get back home? Because Air Canada isn't going to let us mm -hmm. get on a flight. And, um, but then that whole thing about, you know, 
if you test positive, maybe you should tell someone. Well, we had told everybody that we booked the three-hour response. Yeah, so they were going to ask. Because all of the Canadians are sharing ideas or sharing notes like, hey, where are you getting your test? When are you getting yours done? And what are you doing? And sure enough, somebody would say, hey, shouldn't you have your results back? How did did it work out for you? That's true. That's true. And we couldn't have been going, "Uh, well, I have to check my mail. I don't really know. I really think that a hotel like the Wynn should have had a testing center. Yeah. I think Vegas should have had way more, way more formalized it. Like if you're going to have like just an entire huge acreage of hotels, Mm -hmm. then have centralized areas for testing in those hotels. How many people are traveling who need tests? And it was so, it was weird to try and find where do you get the test? Apparently other hotels would have testing come to your room. Yeah, so, not just, I mean, the wind was not, well, well you think that the wind would be. It's maybe a, they did and they just didn't advertise it. And we no, didn't other people asked and they okay. said that the wind was really unhelpful. Okay. And that's kind of what I found with that hotel was that considering how much money we were paying to stay there. Yeah, the wind was not They were best. not, it was not a great experience. So where we did get a test done was the hotel across the street, the new resorts world, and it was right in the lobby. So if we were staying there at the Hilton Resorts World or one of the other hotels that's part of the same complex, we would just walk downstairs and go over to the lab. As it was, it was technically next door for us, but next door in Vegas means a half mile at least. And, you know, 10 minutes of that is in the desert while you're fully in full conference gear, which does not include shorts. Yeah, you're all dressed up and you're walking across this crazy hot area and it's all asphalt so like you're frying on the asphalt on your way over there including the and the asphalt is melting as you're <laughs> yeah. as you're you know walking across with your heels sinking into it a little bit yeah yeah i was that like come on guys you can make some money from foreigners getting tested yeah like, and you'll have more foreigners why, coming yeah and they everybody seemed to be completely un like the people who were concerned about COVID, I remember one server who we had uh, basically said, I don't, I don't go in the casino. Yeah. I just, don't go on the gaming floor yeah, at all. You just don't. Yep. And um, yeah, I don't think the staff didn't seem to be super, I mean, they were very nice. Like everybody was like the staff were the same staff that mm-hmm. we normally, like it's what we expect. But I, I didn't get the sense that they were super excited about Everybody else. Yeah. 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 They were trying. Yep. But anyway, so it was a really strange experience. It was really good to see people. It was great to see people. It It, was scary to see people. Yeah. It was interesting to see. And, oh, I have to say, I am so, it was, I kept on like kicking myself, but I kept giving people hugs. Mm-hmm. It's like, should I be giving people hugs? Should I not be able to, you know, because there are people who are vaccinated who I know are vaccinated. Should I hug them? And they're wondering if they should be hugging me. And we're basically, and it, you go back to the, oh, well, it's going to be what it is. Yeah. Except uh, Scott Manthe was very, very good. Yeah. He, he was, was like very good all the time, even when he was eating and drinking. He, I know. I, he is I, the most mass discipline of anybody there. Yeah. He's, he put is. Put us to shame. He put us Canadians oh God, who think yeah. that we're so cautious. He put us all to shame. He did. So, yeah, I salute you, Scott. You actually did it. Yep. So there was a couple of things that stood out to me. One is 
it was nice to, yes, to see everybody and to get the awards presented and get all of that done. And I was worried that it was going to kind of feel sort of a day late and a dollar short by giving out the awards this late in the, in the year, but it didn't. When the award presentation happened, everybody was excited about it and they were, they're happy to win. Everybody was happy to be up on stage. So that was really good. I was happy that people didn't kind of feel it was uh, anticlimactic at that stage, but it was a bit odd for us when we were doing our workshop and we're talking about the trends and the things that we found and like all of this data that we collected as we usually do. But normally what happens is we collect that data like in November and then we talk about it in March. So it's a lot closer or we're talking even as late as December when that data is coming in and three months later, we're given a review of it. But this year it was way different because we had done everything early and originally anticipating a January convention. So we had been collecting the data like a year ago from now. And then we put it together. We initially put our slides and sort of our, our original organization of the workshop was done in March and, or yeah, I think it was in March and then we parked it for a bit. So here we are in late September. So like this data that we're talking about trends and things is a year old. So I felt very weird talking about it like that. And now don't we don't know. have the new data because we're, we're back to the regular schedule. We haven't started interviews yet, so we don't have much new stuff yet. So I felt kind of weird. I didn't actually, because we were talking more about trends. Yeah, your you were, stuff was more Yeah, but gen- you were talking about turnover. Hmm. And maybe turnover is different now, but I don't think so. I think, yeah, I think we generalized enough. And, and I think that may be why we did that with that session is because we knew it was older data and we knew that it was going to be a while before we were talking about it. So we had to pick stuff that wasn't going to get stale. So I talked about um, COVID response, um, uh, people's mental health, cybersecurity, and... Uh, General natural disasters. Oh, natural disasters, yeah. response and sort of summarizing what people did there. And finding where your gaps are. Mm -hmm. So when these things happen, when an emergency happens, you realize what you don't have in place. So if you can anticipate where your gaps might be should an emergency arise, then you're in in a much better position when an emergency does arise. So the people who had natural disaster plans in place were a little bit ahead of the game when COVID Mm. hit and anybody who kind of anticipated the needs of drivers at the beginning of the pandemic was better able to handle it during the pandemic. So that whole thing about mental health is, you know, people are, if you're going to be isolated along the road with no services and things like that, then maybe you should be reaching out to people a little bit more. And, that, and that's preparedness. It's that whole Boy Scout thing. You need to have it. But it's also that sort of collaboration of checking in with people. Hey, mm-hmm. what else do you need? What can we do? How do we fix these things? They already had a process in place for that. So they were better able to handle it. Yeah. And, and you know, that's how you end up on the top 20s. You just, people are just happier. And I guess the stuff that I was talking about was more generalized in terms of sort of specific things that we had found that was still new because it was some questions that were brand new questions and it gave people some things to think about that they can be implementing and give them a heads up as things that we're going to be evaluating this year. So it did give them some useful tips. 
So you shouldn't be so hard on your fit on yourself. No, it just felt weird while I was doing it because it's the first time. Well, actually, you know, it's not the first time, but there's been a few times in the past where we've done presentations in the fall based on the previous year's data. And I always feel weird about it. I feel like I'm giving them kind of stale information, but I guess it's, if it's new to them, it's still new. It's still useful information. Yeah, I don't think anybody had heard it before. No, well, I don't think anybody had heard the fabulous sound effect that you included in yours. I think I have it. I have it on my... So I was talking about gaps, right? Yes, finding the gaps and closing them. Right. And so you had a good slide that was highlighting the signage from the uh, British subway system, the London Underground. Right. So there is a... So when I was a kid, I spent a lot of time in the London Underground because we lived in London and I liked to go exploring. And, and the Underground or the Tube or the subway is a... Uh, is a uh, fun place to be. So I'm gonna play this. Uh, play the sound. Let's see if this will. Mind the gap. Can you? Did you? Yes, we okay. heard it. So that uh, you have to rewind if you didn't catch that. Like just mind the gap. Well, now she can't stop it. Yeah. No, it just repeats. So anyway, what he's saying is mind the gap, which is mind the gap, and mind and. British is be careful of. Doesn't everybody have that? Mind the gap. Mind your manners, mind your business, pay attention to Yeah, but it's kind of out of context. Like nobody in the room understood what it was Mm. and nobody had heard it. And, Mm. and it's a very specific pitch that is kind of Dr. Who-ish for Mm -hmm. like, it's really, it's much, if you are, if you hear people say it now, it sounds a lot more, reasonable like you kind of understand what they're saying but when I heard it when I was a kid in the 70s it was like what what is that and it was always a always heard it and thought it was a very strange noise and so it kind of just stayed with me yeah and it's relevant because you're talking about gaps right that's what you thought of is you have to you have to mind the gap or pay attention to the gaps or mind the gaps and then or you fall in or you fall in yes so when mind the gap. The, the tracks. Yeah. Well, and it's also somewhat entertaining to have something like that in a presentation. It was very different to have somebody futzing with their phone to find the thing. And then while wearing a lapel mic, trying to press a button on the phone you and make hold the phone up to the microphone. You make it sound like it was a horrible fail. No, it was different. Well, it you were just getting to the point where if it didn't start playing, it was going to be like, okay, let's move on. But then it played. And it was like, ah, oh, I see why you played it because you can't really imitate it. You can't fake that. It's such a distinct sound and it sticks with you. So yeah. if people take away nothing else from that presentation, they're going to remember that thing. And every time they're thinking about gaps, they're going to have your weird sound effect in mm-hmm. their head. Mind the gap. There you go. So, hey, you know, if I had better, if I had better audio. <laughs> So, yes, if you were like Damon John, who had brought a DJ with him to have a soundtrack for his speech, uh, yeah. Well, you are my DJ, so, like, come on. Come on, man. Like, yeah, you just left me. You just left there me you. hanging. I left you hanging because I yeah. did not. And he 
gave his uh, DJ some grief at some mm-hmm. points where he didn't think that the the timing was good, unless that was part of the show. That might have been part of yeah, the show as well. You never know. So yes, Damon John was very good as a keynote speaker. He had a lot of points, sort of his life story and the lessons that he's learned. And unsurprisingly, he has fashioned them into five bullets that all fit within the acronym of SHARK because he's making a lot of uh, marketing around being a shark. So very good as a speaker. The other speaker, Jim Quick, was the memory expert and trying to figure out uh, or teach people how to remember things better. And he had a bunch of things as well that were also articulated as an acronym. An acronym. Uh, <laughs> see, I don't even remember it. Uh, I failed. I, but I do remember the acronym, Be Strong, but I don't remember what each of the letters was. He was telling people to write stuff down and things like that. And yeah, he had some interesting points. He was not as good, in my opinion, as some of the others uh, that we've had there. But uh, he had some had some good points. Definitely had some good points. His whole thing is how to read faster, right? Well, that was part of it. It was improve your memory. Oh, okay. So reading faster is part of it. He's talking about exercising your brain in different ways and... Yeah. So one of them was like, believe, you know, if you believe it, it happens. So it's a lot of that kind of positive thinking stuff that actually improves your memory. And he did have some stats that different things, having a positive attitude uh, affects your memory positively and in other kinds of things like that, that if you believe it, it will happen and you'll remember it better. And he wants people to write it down because that um, helps, which is you know stuff that we know. A lot of stuff wasn't really new to us, uh, but he sort of put it all together and in, into uh, a package that was probably pretty relatable for a lot of people that they could take it and start working with it. That's when you were doing Dave Nemo. Yeah. So, it was so I didn't, I didn't, I didn't get it. I didn't, I only came in for like the last 10 minutes. So the one other thing that I found kind of interesting at the show that I was sort of chuckling about is the exhibit hall, which seemed like a little bit of a larger exhibit hall. I don't know. On the floor plan, it looked like it was bigger, but then I got there and it was the It was same about room. the same. Yeah, I think they it might be in a little bit bigger than the past, but not that much. Um, but a lot of uh, new vendors, for sure, in the last 18 months, definitely new vendors and people with larger booths. A lot of people doing larger booths than they had in the past. And uh, Canadian vendors cranking it up. Hmm. So... We have a booth there, but our booth really isn't to sell much because most of the reason that we have a booth there is so people can find us because they can come and ask us questions about best fleets or people that we know that want to talk to us. So our booth is effectively office hours. Yeah. Uh, and it works for that. It works fine. Um, but there is other people that are definitely there selling and there's a bunch more Canadians than we've seen in the past. So We've been there for several years. Truckwright has had a booth for a few years. Virage Simulation has been there for a few years and done pretty well. But this year, all of a sudden, you know, blasting out of nowhere, Isaac. Yeah. Isaac has decided to market in the U.S. Our our partners there with their ELD, Quebec-based company with their ELD system that is pretty much the dominant ELD in Canada and is... Uh, trying to do the same thing south of the border. And they had like a 20 by 20 booth with a huge display. Yeah, it looked great. I got some ideas out of it as well. Tiffany uh, spent some time in a simulator, which was fun, watching her drive through the snow. And uh, I believe, yeah, and then I believe that she got to go and explore a truck. Oh, yeah, with another dash cam company. Yeah, I didn't know if, 
they were going to let her actually go in the truck because that truck was really just for decorative purposes. Mm-hmm. And um, but Tiffany, what did she say? Things always work out for her. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> yeah. So she came back about an hour later, and she had explored this truck. Mm-hmm. So That's now cool. she knows. Yeah. Well, it's good too. Like if there's a truck available, anybody in our company should be. Mm-hmm. You know, if it's you're worth checking it, yeah, out. it is because it's a whole different way of looking at the road. Yeah. I guess you were up high. You were mm-hmm. definitely up high. And now, that wasn't a Canadian vendor, but that was something that was... No, yeah, that was just something that happened. And the other big Canadian vendor that was there was Geotab, who had a, also had a 20 by 20. Are they Canadian? They're in Oakville. I didn't know Oakville that. Burlington. I can't I remember. I did not know there. that. Yeah, they hide it well. Well, I can see that. Yeah. If you're going to play in the States, you don't want to necessarily be the Canadian company. That's not a... Well, I, I, it depends. I don't. It depends what you're doing. Yeah. They sell pretty much exclusively through resellers. So it makes sense for them you know, to not spend a lot of time talking about where they're from because it's less relevant. You know, they have resellers in different areas. Well, in some ways they have a, an approach similar to ours. Is that they have a network of people that they partner with to do, uh, to do that work. So it's just, I think it was funny that uh, you know, the Canadians are coming. It was a few years ago that the Canadian fleet started to come down and win the wards and things. Now the Canadian vendors are coming down yeah. and <laughs> stirring it up. So, yeah, it's fun. So those are my thoughts from the uh, the convention. And uh, we've got a couple of minutes left, so it's difficult for us to get back into anything else. So I don't really know what we're working on. I think you're just trying to get dug out from it as well, right? Yeah, I am. We rebuilt our CSA course, so that's coming mm. out this weekend. And then we'll have to uh, surprise everybody on the next podcast. With, with what we're doing? What we're doing. Hopefully we will have figured it out by then. Yeah. So until then, we will sign off. Thanks have a great listening. day.